welcome to High Action. I'm Perry Smith. I'm Will Brom. And I'm John Story. Together, we're the New West Guitar Group. On this edition of High Action, we're going to feature guitarist Ron Eshte. A special thanks to our Patreon members and our sponsors who make this podcast possible. For more information on High Action and how you can get involved, please visit www.newwestguitar.com slash highaction. All right. Well, welcome, everybody. Welcome to episode number five of the High Action Podcast. Five episodes in. How about that, John and Perry? Five. It's been pretty awesome so far. Yep, and many more to come. Many more to come. It's such an exciting time for us getting this going. I mean, some days I have to remind myself that we're actually doing a podcast finally after all these years of talking about it. It's so great. We started it in July of 2020, right in the midst of the summer shutdown, and it's been amazing. I'm sure you guys agree, just getting to know these these legendary players in a completely different way than we probably ever would. Yeah, if we were just out gigging and like seeing them, you know, backstage or something. It's like a it's like a disguise to have a long form conversation, which is actually like a lesson for us in so many ways. Uh, it's a total yeah, lesson. It's, really great. it's totally every every interview is a lesson. So, Perry, what's going on over there in Brooklyn this week? Oh, things are OK. Uh, you know, 2020 is it's a kicker, though. You know, uh, fires out by you guys. Live music is banned in New York, essentially. So ticketed, ticketed live music is not acceptable. Really? Uh, is this like... Uh, this is actually like a month or so old, uh, maybe two. And as an, in an effort to kind of control right. the, you know, COVID-19 uh, flare-ups, New York State passed a law or New York City passed a law that there's no ticketed music available. So any kind of music in any establishment has to be what's called incidental music, meaning that the players just happen to come by and happen to set up on the sidewalk and happen to start playing. Wow. So essential workers, incidental music. Yeah, essential workers, incidental music. How about that? A tough go for some of the cats out here, obviously. And uh, But, you know, this too shall pass. Yeah. So, John, what's, what's new with you? Man, uh, just like you said, Will, it really struck me the other day when you told me about how much you're enjoying being in a routine. And, like, I've been going through times where I've been more in a routine and times where I've kind of thrown the routine out the window. And I've just been like, you know, today I'm just going to pick up the guitar and just play and just get oh, into something. An amazing feeling. Yeah. And, like, the other day it really surprised me. I just sat down. I was just like, I'm just going to start just playing, not really a yep. tune. And, you know, meanwhile, a couple hours later, I just had gotten into such a – a good space and um so but then again some days were like my teaching and other things it feels good to just be like nine o'clock ten o'clock mm-hmm, eleven mm-hmm. o'clock so i'm learning a lot about that and you know just trying to take it easy still reminding myself every day that health is the most important thing right now you just got to stay healthy and um it's been a little interesting I'm, i've been kind of working with the community college district out here on a panel of other music music teachers about how we're going to go back into the classroom eventually, how ensembles will be set up. And I've been petitioning to make all the jazz ensembles basically field marching bands, you know, where we're basically rehearsing outside because I just want to get my kids playing, man. Like I want, they're all working so hard. I want them to be playing with each other. 
Um, yeah. But it has to be done safely. So we're, you know, we're in limbo. And in the meantime, high action, this podcast, we're featuring all of our guitar players. It's, it's been really keeping me going, man. And I, I, I've been really enjoying getting to hang with you guys like this. You know, it's starting to feel normal. I don't know if that's weird, but it's feeling It is normal. starting to feel normal. <laughs> I mean, there's, I do like having more control of my day. Some days I feel like I have no control, but I just like driving less. I think oh. that's my favorite thing. Yeah. Especially you know. for the LA guys, man. You oh. spend so much time out there in the car. You know, yeah, it's like an apartment for you I, guys. I've spent this month, you guys, $38 on gas. Wow. This month. In the past, wow. I've spending over $300 a month on gas. So your, your Corolla thanks you. It's going all to my blue chip guitar picks I've been buying, man. You know, it's <laughs> have you gotten any yeah. new ones? Yes, I love it. I got the, Wait, I got the, get? the big Jazz 40. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, uh, I think I have a Big Jazz 50. Yep. Yeah. And for those who are listening, too, you know, Blue Chip is one of our unofficial sponsors. They're a company that we endorse. We love their products, and we love spreading the word about products like that that are really thoughtful and minded. And, and I tell you, I ain't going you know, back to those plastic celluloid guitar lesson picks I've played since I was eight years old, man. I'm just, but but I'm, I'm curious if you guys agree. When it comes to just <laughs> strumming a G chord on a steel string... You just need a Fender Medium. You I actually agree with that. You can't use anything else. Yeah. I but, think that, that the uh, blue chip can work. It sounds, sounds all right, but uh, there is something beautiful about the lightness of a Fender Medium mm -hmm. uh, on the strings for your, when you're doing strumming stuff. It's, it's not the same when you're trying to do like certain single lines where you want a lot of accuracy. It's just a little too flubby sounding. Yeah, but, but yeah, but nothing like a important. medium pick for rhythm guitar, man. That's for John's true. river crest rhythm part, you know. Yeah, which <laughs> unfortunately medium. these days I'm not doing a whole lot of rhythm guitar parts because I'm just sitting here freaking playing by myself all the time, you know. But right. <laughs> Our interviewee this week, Ron Eshday, I forgot to ask what picks he uses, but I think he uses like a thumb yeah. pick that actually goes right. on his thumb. Right. Yeah, really interesting. Right. Or I, I know what he uses. He Shark uses yeah. shark tooth picks. Yeah. Yeah, well, you he got me into right? those because you, you studied with him. So you I should did. Know about he him, gave right? me some. But Shark Tooth yeah. is the actual pick. Perry, remember what David Oakes gave us at SC? The Strum and Comfort. Strum and Comfort. Oh, the Strum and Comfort. With, with the little little band, and like they'd get kind of flimsy after a while, and and then I wrote a bunch of stuff for New West back in 2010, 11 with the thumb pick, and I was using like a big yeah. old fat thick thumb pick. Man, I I love thumb pick sound. It's you weren't making it easier on yourself in those days. You had a dad guy guitar, you had nylon string guitar, you had thumb pick parts, you had finger style parts. Don't you had forget note the parts. capo. Don't forget the capo. <laughs> oh, God. You know who doesn't use a capo? Ron Eshte. Ron Eshte doesn't use a capo. As he states in this interview, when he was a child growing up in, in the bayou of Louisiana, he was the only cat that wasn't using a capo. Right. This is uh, such a hilarious interview. What stood out to you, John, about, about this interview with Ron Eshday? Man, Ronnie is a deep guy, and you can just tell. And he, That guy's got some serious road stories, some serious bandstand experience. Mm -hmm. It's such an honor to get to speak with guys like that, man. And it just confirms so much about Ronnie to me. He's somebody who like takes music very seriously and really mm -hmm. has done a lot of in-depth study. But the overall coding to his life and his presentation is that he's so just true to his personality and himself i love that about ron i love that about joe diorio joe pass all these guys it seemed like wes must have been like that 
where like their personality is really the thing at the end of the day that you get to experience with their music. And certainly in this interview, we get to hear how Ronnie um, really has approached his his playing. And yeah, it's it's a pretty hilarious a one. Good one. Perry, what about you? What stood out to you? I mean, his voice, like John's saying, you know, <laughs> just the, like the accent, that Southern accent, that Louisiana accent. It's it's pretty cool to hear Intoxicating. that. Intoxicating. And he's yeah, he's he's you know very articulate too. Yeah, I guess his experience, it's very, very widespread. You know, he's had an incredibly long career and he's played with Ray Brown and he's played yeah. with Gene Harris. And like, these are just the heaviest of people, the swinginest of people. And he's a real sweetheart. So it was, it was just an honor to get to speak with him and feature him on the series. He was my teacher for five plus years, all throughout college and certainly a little after. And I mean, it was great to just catch up. And I mean, I, I could have just taken my portion for an hour and a half uh, by itself, but... I think he's our first seven-string player, too. Oh, yeah, yeah, good, yeah, good note. For yeah. Sure. Well, I think it's about that time where we, uh, we send the listeners in to, to listen to this wonderful interview. So without further ado, please enjoy this interview with Ron Eshte. So, Ron, welcome to the High Action Podcast. We're so glad you're here. Uh-oh. Yeah. <laughs> That's the reaction we want. Um, man, so, you know, my relationship with you goes all the way back to fall 2007, being a freshman at Cal State Long Beach, taking the bus from campus up to, to Norwalk to take lessons with you. And I, I took lessons with you every week, just about until 2012 when I graduated. And I know um, John and Perry have hung with you some in the past. So I'd love to I'd love to talk about you growing up in New Orleans and your roots in music. I know you gigged all over New Orleans. You got a guitar at age 14, correct? That's correct. I wanted a guitar, and and there was a local store in there called Fabricus Music in my hometown. Now, I'm not from New Orleans. I'm from a little town called Homa which is 58 miles southwest of New Orleans, down in the bayou, you know, Cajun country. Mm-hmm. So that's where I'm originally from. But, uh, yeah, I got a guitar, like, at Christmas. You know, I saved up half the money my dad gave me the other half. And uh, so I ended up getting, I had an old K about the size of a, I think it was a 17, you know, mm-hmm. 17 across. Mm-hmm. and pretty thick with the you know with the old the old the arm and pickup on it that, oh yeah oh yeah you know. <laughs> yeah that was my first guitar i remember you telling me when you were a child you would be watching tv and like, listening to the radio and you would hear these groups playing and you would hear those orchestrations and they just stuck with you yeah you know it was, it's really strange you know like i guess the best part of that story is is you know we have a swing in the backyard what else do you do in louisiana you know <laughs> so uh you know so i'm like five years old and my sister was eight years older than me so she was doing musicals and stuff at school and so we were singing you know she'd have me sing the melody because she wants to practice her alto parts you know mm-hmm. so i would sing the melodies you know you know strangers in paradise on the street where you live and you know, all those tunes. So, you know, before I took up the guitar, I already knew two, three hundred tunes, you know? Right. And the words to, the words, the words to a lot of them. Wow. You know, so 
it was really cool. Yeah. What was it like gigging around Louisiana when you were younger? I, I, I vividly remember you telling me that this one club would pay you in Coca-Cola and fried chicken. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, it, it's a funny thing about that. You know, I, I just started playing. I, I've been playing maybe a year, about 15. And my uh, my cousin, Danny Robichaud, his father was a, a country musician. You know, he played violin and played, you know, played the fiddle, you know, very well. You know, country style. Mm-hmm. And uh, they hired me one night to come play. And they started hiring me because... I was the only guy in town that didn't use a capo, you know. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so I, I was the only guy in town that didn't matter what key we played in, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, it was simple music, you know, simple country music, you know, Ernest Tubb and those kinds of guys, you know. What yeah. brought you out to L.A.? You know, I was, when I was in school, I was working uh, at a club, uh, there was a club on the West Bank called the Black Knight, and it was upstairs, and they had it was a showroom, and it used to bring acts into there. Now I also worked at the Blue Room down, you know, in in, in the city, which would they'd bring acts into more big time acts, you know, like Julie London and people like that at the time. Mm-hmm. So there was an act that came in, Freddie Bell and Roberta Lynn. Funny, hell, hell, it was comedy singing. So they opened a club here in in uh, in Orange County called the In Place. And they, they called me out of the blue with Frank Amos, the band leader, who was, I don't know if you know Frank, but he was the Orange County president for a long time. He just passed away about a year ago. Okay. So he called me and said, hey, look, they're opening this club. It's, once you come, he says, can you find a bass player? So I, I had a friend, Jay Seffer, who played guitar and bass. And shoot, we came out, and I ended up staying. You know, wow. So that's oh. Yeah, I came out here uh, December 9th, 1970. Wow. Well, man, and tell us about how you got linked up with GIT. And I mean, like all the cats you were teaching with and hanging with. I mean, that's like a legendary era. <laughs> I don't know about that, but, but that's, a, that's, a, that's a pretty good, that's a pretty good story. I had been working, you know, uh, working around, you know, I work with Freddie and, you know, I had a top 40 band. My wife and I had a top 40 band together and I was working at, at Hungry Joe's which was a jazz club, you know, seven nights a week, a uh, jazz club down in Huntington beach. Wow. Seven nights a week. But, but anyway, I went to, I went to a Howard Roberts seminar and I brought a bunch of transcriptions that I did of Howard's. And I had known Howard. Uh, I met him at a club and, you know, he was like, Howard was my like first favorite jazz guitar player. He's the one who ruined my life. You know, <laughs> all over. Anyway, so so I, I bring the transcriptions and I you know I, I talked to Pat and I talked to how Howard said hey Ronnie how you doing you know so I said okay and I said listen I brought some stuff here that I copied for you and he's well, why don't you play some of it I said okay <laughs> so man I you know I I sat down and just started whipping this stuff out you know playing all his solos you know wow and he looked at he looked at Pat and he says we need this guy yeah <laughs> well, that's great you know. So I said, Howard, I said, Howard, would you like to play one of them? He says, no, I already did. <laughs> <laughs> oh, when I first came out to L.A., you know, all these guys, you know, Joe Pass and, and, and Howard and George Van Epson, all the cats who lived out here, you know, of course, I had listened to them my whole life. 
And you know, I was exactly right how their personalities were. Mm. You know, through their playing, I could tell how they were as people. You know, Howard was a real cut up. There's legendary stories about him in, in, in the studio and stuff, you know, coming in at the last minute in the rain on the sandpiper. And they threw all this, threw all this music in front of him as he, you know, he, he barely got through it. He, he was a funny cat, man. He, he was a funny guy. Today's episode of High Action is sponsored by Hendrickson Amplifiers. These guys are great. They're based out in Colorado in the Denver area, and they really build the guitar amplifier designed to meet the needs of the jazz guitar player. We're talking about people that want extremely high-quality sound in a portable package. Yeah, their amps are not that heavy, so you can carry them around at the gigs or your friend's house, wherever you're going. The keys to their success have been manufacturing in their own facilities, keeping their quality control as high as possible, using all analog designs to preserve tonal integrity, 100% commitment to the absolute best customer service in the industry. Believe me, we know these guys, they're great. So check out Hendrickson Amps if you want to get a good tone out of your guitars. So John and Perry, you know, I came up studying with you. John and Perry were studying with Joe DiOrio. I imagine you ran into Joe a good amount at, at GIT. Oh, yeah. Well, Joe and I, uh, Joe, um, he was at that seminar. Oh. And oh. and anyway, it ended up being me and Joe and Don Mock from Seattle. You know, that Howard knew real well. He loved Don. And, well, you want to talk about, talk about somebody play the guitar, physically yeah. play the guitar. It was like Diorio, he was amazing. Wow. You know, I mean, I, I'd watch these guys play, you know, because I played all the harmony and stuff like that. But, I mean, these guys, I mean, they play so fast. And so how did you get linked up with Gene Harris? Some of those albums, I mean, I have most of those albums, and I mean, they're so swinging. Yeah. How did you get linked up with Gene? That's a funny story, too. Gene used to tell that story all the time. Gene picked up Luther in, in Kentucky, Cincinnati. You know, that's right on the border there. Uh-huh from each other and Carl Burnett, who was his drummer. And anyway, so Luther was working with him and, and then Luther and I got to be friends. He was one of the first musicians I met when I, I came out here. Gene was looking for a guitar player and Luther, Luther just told me, Hey man, why don't you, why don't you call Ronnie? So the story that Gene says, <laughs> he says one night, he says, I heard that uh, there was a white guy who played like a brother down in Orange County, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and that, I mean, I'm telling the story the way he told it, right? Uh -huh. yeah. And he says, so he says, I put on my disguise <laughs> and went down and caught, and caught this cat and, and, and hired him. You know, so that, that was that story. I mean, he he would link, uh, he would lengthen it out, you know, with some funny antidotes. I can't remember all of it, but it was funny the way he tell the story. And you traveled all over with Gene. You uh, how long were you touring with him? Well, I played with Gene off and on, basically twenty one years off wow. and on. You know, there were years in between that because, as a matter of fact, when I joined uh, the Ray Brown Mill Jackson Quartet, I used to. In the late seventies, I started working with with Bags and and Brown, you know, yeah, and yeah. and uh, Mick, Mickey Mickey Roker, you know. Yeah. So he would use either, so he would use either Monty Alexander or Cedar Walton. He liked playing with guitar every now and then, so he'd hire Ed Bickert every now and then. 
and then he'd hire me, you know, because I could play the blues and, and the harmony. You know, I was one of the few guys who could do that because in New Orleans, you know, I played on Bourbon Street when I was 18, you know, playing all of Wilson Pickett and James Brown and all that stuff, you know. Oh, yeah. So Ray Brown, to be part of that scene, what was that like? I mean, you want to talk about another couple of characters, Ray Brown and, <laughs> and Bags. You got it was fun a funny cat. Brown was a character. We were doing this slow arrangement of Limehouse Blues. And it was mm-hmm. way down, you know, bump, doo doo do. We were doing it. I said, man, I said, this is a real nice arrangement. He says, oh, yeah. He says, I, I stole that from Mama Jamma. You know, he called Amma Jamal, called him Mama Jamma, you know. <laughs> and I said, I said, you stole that from him? And he called me Ash, for, short for Ashtray, you know. Back <laughs> John Clayton and... And John Clayton and Jeff Hamilton both called me Ash, and so did Milt Jackson. So he looks at me in, in, in the only way that, you know, you'd have to be there to Ray Brown look. He looks down at me and says, hey, Ash, if I'm going to copy something, it ain't going to be no dog-ass shit. <laughs> <laughs> at one point, you know, you mentioned Mickey Roker. Gene Harris, Ray Brown. That trio has a great album. Have you heard this album? It's called Red Hot Ray Brown Trio. Yeah, I heard that years ago. It's been oh, a long man. time. It's so great. I and imagine, let me like, tell you the yeah. story about that. When I left, when I left Bags, because my son had just been born, and I told him, I told Brown, I said, look, I want to get off the road for a while, spend some time with my son, you know. And he said, okay, Ash, who do you think I'll get? I said, I said, why don't you call Gene Harris? He said, Gene Harris? Yeah, he said, where is Gene? I said, he's up in Boise, Idaho. And so he did. He called He called Eugene, and and uh, Eugene ended up being in the Ray Brown Trio. Oh, man. That album is so swinging. And it's hard to find. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like a bootleg. I mean, it's kind of funny. It's hard to find these yeah. days. I'd also love to talk about what got you into seven-string guitar playing. Yeah. Well, that's pretty easy. You know, at the time... I was playing a lot of, not so much solo guitar, but I was playing like with a flute player, trumpet player, singers, and mm-hmm. stuff like that. And I was already, you know, since about 1972, playing all those walking bass lines and stuff. Yeah. So, I mean, a lot of guys do that now, but there were really only me and Ted Green and Joe Pass. We were the only ones playing like the walking bass line thing. So I said, you know, man, if I had a, another string on here, I said, you know, I could maybe I'd get a little bit more work, you know? <laughs> so I did. I, I did it for that. I did it for that purpose, and it it worked out, you know. And and that's what it did. Be putting up the most strings band together with me and Todd. You know, yeah. he was a student oh, yeah. at, at MI, okay. and I, I showed him how to play the walking bass lines, you know, with chords because he had a six string, you know, mm-hmm. electric bass. And so we just, that was the most strings band. <laughs> you know, your seven string playing, I remember sitting in lessons and you would show me something and playing with you. And when you comp with that seven string, it fills out the sound so much. Yeah. The thing about that, that one is, you know, so I tell my students, you know, in actuality, it's easier to play seven string than it is six, hmm. you know, uh, not so much physically, you know, because you got an extra string to reach for but chord voicing wise and baseline wise, as far as as uh, figured bass, it's much easier to play a seventh string. And it's you know because you, know, you can play. I can play an F at the a low F at your first string. I can play that at the eighth fret. You know what I mean? You know, and, yeah. and all those other voicings I can, can play and get that bass You're right line. in the middle. And, and and you know with a bar, you can play all those same chords. You know they're, right. they're not they're not that much different. And since I played a lot of detuning with my classical playing, 
it was not a problem to deal with the fifth, you know? I'd love to talk about steamers a little bit, which you were a huge part of. And I mean, I remember going to see you there all the time and you were gracious to let me sit in. And, you know, that was that was a real hang. I think John and Perry actually saw you once or twice at steamers for oh, yeah. all the time. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Time. Yeah. 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 I saw I remember seeing John there at least once. And I think Perry at least once. Yeah, definitely. You know, boy, that gig, I was 45 years old when I started there. I worked there basically 20 years, man. You know, wow. uh, almost every first Thursday of the month. It was a great vibe. It was a great environment for playing. It was a great listening room. And speaking of Todd, oh, yeah. um, Todd bassist Todd Johnson, who I believe is in Arizona now, I, I want to point out the, the awesome partnership you guys had in trio playing where Todd would be playing bass lines and comping a bit while you right. were solo. Right, like, I mean, right? and then I did the same thing. So that's why I call it the most strings band. <laughs> yeah, man. I mean, it's, it sounds really musical and beautiful. And it just sounds very yeah. full. Ronnie, man, I, I'm just loving this. It's just great to touch base, first of all, man. It's really great. You know, this podcast that we're doing, this series of interviews on high action, we're learning that so many of, of our guests like you, man, and our teachers like you just come from so many influences and just make you such a melodic player, Ron. And also, you know, you're a fantastic accompanist. I just love playing duo with you. You feel so supported. Do you feel like a lot of your accompaniment skills come from working with so many great vocalists over the years? And like, especially the the, the quartet with Gene, I agree with Will, I love that album. Listen here, you're playing on that track to you is like one of my favorite tracks of all time. Yeah. <laughs> Do you feel like your accompaniment skills comes from playing with a lot of a lot of vocalists because you're so you're so supportive and everything feels right, you know, when when you play duo with you, man. Well, it's music, it's musicality and like you said, you know, being melody conscious. You know, I know a lot of melodies, so when I worked with singers, I knew what notes if they were singing the straight melody, I knew what notes they were singing. So, you know, it makes it a lot easier to accompany them. So mm -hmm. I can stay out of different registers. You know, like, for example, it's much harder working with a female than 
they're the male uh-huh. because you because the male is in in the first octave, right. you know where Todd is playing. You know, so it, it, it all follows through. No matter what you do, it if it's a string quartet, if it's an orchestra, it's all the same stuff. You know, D minor seven is the same thing in a country band as it is in a symphony. Just mm-hmm. voice differently, you know, or thick more thickly or whatever, more more instrument. So if you know what's coming, you can make adjustments like that. Okay. Now you know, like working with bags and brown, you know, bags would be all over the place and brown too. You know, if you're playing a D seven, I have I. You know, is Ray going to go through, going to play the A flat there or instead of the D? Is Zags going to play a run that's a, a ninth, a sharp nine or a flat nine? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So you, got, you you end up playing a lot of tritones, you know, till, <laughs> till they commit to what color they're playing, you know? Yeah. Oh, totally, <laughs> man. You, you, yeah. Thirds and sevens. You, but you got you to gotta want, you got to want to do that and enjoy doing that. Most guys don't. Yes. Not mentioning right. any names. No, and, <laughs> no. And, and well, actually, maybe maybe Ronnie, maybe mentioning generations. Do you feel like younger musicians these days are just because I don't know if it's a generational thing, not learning as many melodies that maybe they're lacking in accompaniment skills as guitarists? Speaking mostly on guitar, on the guitar students that you might have. Taught. Yeah. Well, the problem the the problem is with that they didn't come up with the orchestration. You know, mm-hmm. they came up with guitar players. Yeah. You know, and you know, and let's face it, for the most part, that's the blind leading the blind. You know. <laughs> right. You know. Whenever I'd go see you play at steamers or when even when you do your workshops, you're so inviting and so fun to go watch you play. And you're you're such an interesting guitar player to watch with, with just the way you approach the instrument and your 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 artistry. Do you get a lot of inspiration for just entertaining and being kind of having some jokes and stuff from guys like Hank Garland and Roy Clark and maybe some of the guys that when you were young, I don't know if you were inspired by Hank. In fact, he was such a great entertainer as he was a guitar player. Oh, man, Hank Garland. Oh, I love Hank Garland. You know, yeah. I have those jazz winds from a new direction, velvet guitar, and oh, yeah. I wore that stuff out. Yeah, man. You know, I wore that stuff out. Well, you know, it, it comes with the territory. I work with so many comedians, too, you know, <laughs> some of that stuff. It's just, um, I admire that so much about you, man. And it's, again, after all these years, it's so fun to go back and talk to you, man, because uh, I've been so inspired by the way you play and by the way you accompany and your and just your beautiful sound on the guitar. So uh, I know Perry has some questions. I wanted to pass it over to him sure. and not take too much time. Well, hey, Ron, uh, it's, yeah. it's Perry Smith over here. It's really a pleasure to get to listen to you and to have a chance to speak with you. I'm, I'm calling you here from Brooklyn, New York. I don't live in Los Angeles anymore, but it's, it's really great to be speaking with you. I have to say, you know, having spent time in Los Angeles, that guitar community that you uh, have been a part of for so long, that's a really special community. You know, we, we were recently talking to Pisano, and I always just have so many great feelings about the guitarists that I met during my time in L.A., and certainly you are one of them. I have yeah. a lot of fond memories of seeing you play down in Fullerton at Steamers. So it's been really great to talk to you. I wanted to ask you about some of the guitars you've played. You've played some really incredible guitars throughout your life. I believe yeah. you used to play a Benedetto. You've had a Mapson, I think, before, and now you're playing a lot on a yeah. City Hill. Could you talk a little bit uh-huh. about the way you like your guitars set up and the strings you like to use and action and sort of some of those things that go into getting your sound? Well, in the early days, you know, I had a I had that 330 I told you about. I had a, a Levine Goya from Sweden for a while that I really liked. And then I had my Howard Roberts, 
and uh, old Dean Jellico. And those, you know, like Dean Jellico, you know, you had to stand up on the strings to push it down, you know. <laughs> and uh, but I was, you know, I was young and really strong, you know. So I mean, it didn't matter. I don't know. I just kept on working on guitars, you know. For a while with Polytone, I was with Polytone a long time, and he put out some guitars. And I went to all the luthiers for him, you know. I went to a bunch of different luthiers and, and, and learned a lot, a lot about the wood and actions and stuff like that. So my situation just kept morphing, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You know, I had that first Benedetto, which was like a kind of a large 175. Mm-hmm. And then I asked Bobby to make me a make me a, a, a neck through, you know, mm-hmm. which is the size of... Two and a quarter, you know, uh, Birdland, but sixteen across instead. Yeah, yeah. You know, uh, that's the Birdland. And then when I went with Babson, I went with more. I went back to three thirty size, you know. Okay. Uh, sixteen across, and then with CB, you know, I had an accident with that Babson, and it got the top got crushed on it. Oh wow! But I called CB, and I had my, one of my Benedettos, and I had him string that up for me. And, you know, get it playing again. And I was playing that for, I don't know, for about a year. And CB said, he had been working on all my instruments for like 30 years. He says, I'm making you a guitar. I says, don't worry about it. Mm. You know? Wow. That's so, cool. You know, so I paid him for the guitar. I wouldn't let him give me a guitar. So so I paid I paid for that guitar. And I was watching him build it, you know, and, and I said, I said, this is a size of my Les Paul. He said, yeah. So he put a maple top on it. Mm-hmm. And I put he put the uh, back and sides and neck is mahogany. Yeah. And no one would, everybody wants to give me ebony, ebony, ebony on the fingerboard. And I've always liked rosewood instead. Yeah. And because of my Howard Roberts, my Howard Roberts had rosewood on it. And I love that guitar, man. There's a, if you ever want to see that guitar, it's on a video with Don Raider, Jet Danger Records. I don't know if you guys ever get to that, but it's on YouTube. Mm-hmm. I'm. I look like my. I, I look like my grandson. You know. <laughs> you, you know. Mm. I, I I loved. I loved that guitar. It had a. I had a single coil. You know. It basically, it was a Howard Roberts pickup, but really, it was a Johnny Smith pickup. Yeah. That was silver. <laughs> it was chrome instead of gold. You know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that's all. Of, but when I got the when I got the CB Hill and. Uh, you know, I went like, holy smoly, what, why didn't I do this years before? You know? Yeah. And, and what that's what CB told me. He says, listen, I've been listening to you. Every complaint you made about every guitar you ever had, you've been that over all of that stuff. He said, I wrote all that down. And he wow. says, when I made this, when I made this guitar, he says, I eliminated all of that. And he did. Man, when he got done with that, I, I, I told him, I said, you know, I just, I just wrote him a check and I said, get started. Yeah, mm-hmm. I said I I I want to I want another one. Make it make it the same. Don't even change your shorts. You know. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, the only thing he did he gave me uh he gave me an extra note. My brown one goes up to C sharp, uh, like my Benedettos did, okay. and and uh, the 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 gray one goes up to D natural. Oh, you know, cool. and of course, most most of the guitars I had before. Uh, went up to went up to sea, uh-huh. you know. Right. Yeah, and and the thing about that is he made the he made the compound radius. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah. What starts at the seven and a quarter, 
and goes to about 12 or 15, 16, something like that, all the way up. That's a great so, story. You know, I, well, you, you yeah. get such a terrific sound out of that guitar, Ron. Um, and I, I wanted to just ask you another question if you, if you have a second here. We, you know, one of the things we talked to some of our guests about are some of their favorite recordings. So if you had to pick your Desert Island top five or ten Sheesh. jazz recordings, they don't have to be jazz guitar, but they could, what, what would come to your mind? You know, for me, I don't think it, I don't think it gets much better than, than Joe Pass or Django. Yeah, you know uh, that record. Uh, Joe had an angel on his shoulder that that day. Definitely. You know, a record that changed a lot of what I changed my direction was now he sings the Sobs Chick Corea. Oh yeah. You know, another album that I really loved was uh, Cannonball Adderley Live at the Lighthouse. Oh, oh man, yeah, that's uh, one of my personal favorites too. Oh, yeah, that's yeah. that's seemed... and of course you know blues, you know blues in the abstract truth because that was. And you you know you got to put smoking at a half note in there yeah, too. Yeah, you got to put smoking you know. in that, of course. Any of you know Rob McConnell and Thad Jones, Bell Lewis, man, I love that stuff. Oh yeah, those oh, guys yeah. are you know so harmony. <laughs> it's just so good. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. It's it's really a pleasure to hear you speak about this stuff. Thank you so much, Ron, for for making some time for us here. Uh, again, it's really an honor to have you. You're a legend of jazz guitar. Yeah, Ron. Mm. Yeah, man. Really nice. We appreciate you well, so much, man. Wow. Wow. Just remember, time is not a magazine. <laughs> time is not a magazine. <laughs> what other bits of advice do you have for us youngsters, Ronnie? I think the main thing is just play music, man. Play music, play musical. And I, I do have one word of advice. The more you know about harmony, the better your playing is going to be, yeah. you know, you can't miss. If you know what the harmony is and, and the generating tone, meaning the bass, you just can't go wrong. And of course the melody, because those are, those are the three things that if you know the melody well, and you know the bass well, and you know some tricks to the trade, so to speak, all those orchestrational devices, then which was, I was using there, yeah. you know, but you got to make it feel good too. You know, make it feel good and learn the harmony. The more you learn about harmony, the better your playing is going to get. And it will never end. You will never know enough about harmony. Right. I don't care how much you practice. Oh, you yeah. know, if I had three if I had three lifetimes, it wouldn't be nearly enough. Thank you so much for being on, on high action today. You know, for me personally, you've been one of the most important figures in my life for musical development, personal development. So I love you so much, well, man. Thank you. you I know. love you yeah. too, man. And you know, you guys, all you guys, I, I, you know, I, I just, I'm just thrilled that, that you're there to, to carry the torch. 
Thanks again for joining us for another exciting edition of High Action. We'd like to take this moment to thank our sponsors for making this podcast possible, especially those who follow us on Patreon. If you'd like to join us, visit us at www.patreon.com slash Group. There you can subscribe monthly to our Patreon page and get exclusive content from today's podcast. Lastly, don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts for all the future episodes. Once again, I'm John Story with New West Guitar Group, and thanks for joining us on High Action.